And just so you know, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, the Lord's Prayer in one place is in Matthew 6. And so that was uh, daily bread is, is uh, verse 11. And there's a great prayer in the book of Proverbs. It says, God, give me just enough so I don't steal. And don't give me so much that I forget you. I think that's a really wise, wise prayer about give me just enough so I'm contented, not so much that I'm proud and fat and uh, happy and forget you, and don't make me, uh, don't tempt me to steal because I don't, don't have bread. Okay, now we're getting off of daily bread and we're getting into, I guess we could call it, uh, relationships. <clears throat> and what is the, what does Jesus highlight about our relationships? When he uses this word, debts. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Another translation has trespasses. Which do you like better? Saying, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. Well, trespasses makes it sound a little more purposeful. So we actually, usually don't just commit trespassing by because you know you're trespassing because there's usually a sign. sign. <laughs> no trespassing. So that means we willfully uh, cross the line. So there's some, yeah, we need to think about that. Where have I crossed the line that God's clearly put out there in terms of obedience and, and disobedience? But this idea of debt gets us into a different uh, territory. The Apostle Paul says, Let no debts remain outstanding except that of love. Why is love always an outstanding debt? Why can you never pay off the debt to love? Jeff, what do you, what do you think? Debt of love? Yeah. So you owe somebody love? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's think about it in terms of God. Could we ever pay off a debt of love to God? No. Why not? What has his love been like towards us? Infinite. Infinite. What's our love towards him look like? Tiny. So, what do we call that gap? We call that a debt. There's credits missing. All that God poured out us in love by making us alive, giving us Jesus, loving us every day, forgiving all of our sins, and then what we return back to Him, you know, chicken scratch, uh, chump change, what we have returned to God. So we owe Him a great debt of love that we can never repay. We're always in his debt. The great thing is he doesn't treat us as debtors. He treats us as sons. But when we see his love, we look at how small our love is and we say, oh, wow, that's a huge gap. And so forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This verse makes a lot of people very uncomfortable, so much so that they don't want to pray the Lord's Prayer. 
What does it sound like Jesus is saying? We will only be forgiven as sinners. Yeah. But in the same way that we forgive others. Does that worry you a little bit? Yeah, it's like, so what, what, is, what is Jesus getting at? He's saying, look at your heart of forgiveness. Does it look like God's heart of forgiveness? If we're naming God as our Father and naming Jesus as our Savior, we're naming these other Christians as brothers and sisters, how are we handling them and their uh, debtors, uh, their debts against us? <coughs> And Pastor Michael preached on this uh, probably in one of the first sermons of after we launched was <coughs> if you see yourself as a big debtor forgiven by God, what will he says we'll have love. what size love? Big. Big love. Because we'll see how much we've been forgiven little debtor it'll be very tempting to have little love because we're like eh, not that bad but we start to see we think of ourselves as a little debtor we'll see everybody else as terrible sinners I'm a good guy and I've done all this for you look what you've done to me and we see the bigness of their debt for us and so if we're looking at ourselves not in uh, the dimensions of God's grace, that we're big debtors, and that produces a big love in our hearts towards God's and others, we will not want to forgive others. We'll be very stingy with God's grace because we think, well, I don't need much grace because I don't have much sin. I'm one of the good people. Grace is for sinners, and I'm not one of those big sinners. So we start to become very stingy and very... Uh, like an accountant with God's grace instead of being very generous and very free uh, with our, our forgiveness. Here's just kind of a diagnostic question for, for this. Do you feel like praying for someone who has hurt your feelings? That's a struggle, right? So you're starting to pray and you, you see their face and you go, oh God, bless them. I just want them to have a really good day today. Do you find yourself praying that? No. Probably not. What you see is their offense. And so God is very practical in the way he talks to us about prayer. He's like, if you're not forgiving them from your heart, you're going to find it very hard to love them from your heart. Very hard to pray for them and to ask God to bless them because you haven't released them from that debt. Rachel releases people from their homes, you know, so uh, she deals with debts and uh, releasing debts and stuff every day. Uh, so that's, you know, that's hard. So I don't know how you do that. It's really hard to have. Yeah. <clears throat> but God's grace has come to us so that we release people from their debts because they could never repay us, right? The only way that God says the wages of sin is death, death right? So really the only way that we could pay off our debts is with our very lives to, to go away. 
So in one sense, when we don't release people from their debts, when we don't forgive them, we're basically saying, I want you to be dead. I want you to be my slave. And so actually we're keeping people in slavery uh, to us when we don't forgive them. We want them to suffer under our, uh, our wrath. And God has said, you were my enemy, but I forgave you. Extend that same grace uh, to one another. And that's the hardest thing. And that's actually where the gospel becomes really practical, is in uh, relationships uh, to each other. And then here's uh, the, uh, the last petition. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, this is a tough verse too. Because James says, God never led anyone into temptation. What leads people into temptation? Satan and his partner, you. <clears throat> Flip over to James 1, real quick, if you have a Bible. One thirteen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So God doesn't do the tempting. Well, what are we saying? Uh, when we're saying, don't lead us into temptation, if God doesn't lead us into temptation, what, what are we supposed to do with that? I think part of it gets to how do we view temptation? Temptation is an opportunity to be unfaithful to God. That's how we would call it biblically or theologically. But what do our desires say about temptation? Temptation is an opportunity to get what I want. So when we're praying, we're actually wanting to pray from God's point of view. It's saying, I don't want to go into temptation because that's an opportunity to be unfaithful to you. And so, I don't want to go there, God. Do not let me go there. Help me to fight temptation. Help me not to see it as an opportunity to please myself, but as an opportunity to be faithful to you. Deliver us from evil. So just to complete this uh, umbrella diagram, this is God's kingdom rule. And when it comes to the devil... Where should we draw the devil under here? Is he under the umbrella or outside the umbrella? Outside. If the devil was outside God's umbrella, what would that make him? That would make him an equal... Inside. Equal ruler, right? So what is Satan? What is the devil? Satan. <clears throat> He's an angel, so he belongs under one of God's creations. So we're basically saying that God deliver us from the evil one because you have the power over him. He's not the greatest power in the world. He's not the greatest reality uh, in my life. It's uh, Jesus. This is the J is for Jesus here. And he's the way that we grab hold of God's ruling everything and his personal care for us by the Holy Spirit. So the, last week we talked about what is Christian prayer. 
Christian prayer is to the Father through the mediation of the Son by the power and the intercession of the Holy Spirit. So this is what makes it Christian prayer instead of just praying to the air or just wishing. Um, but deliver us from evil, saying we hate everything that is against God's, God's rule. We hate sin, we hate temptation, we want to follow uh, after Him. Any questions about the umbrella or about uh, lead us not into temptation? <coughs> oh, this this F up here. This is uh, the Father rules everything. That's his. That's our little throne area. <coughs> it should be a lot bigger and fancier, but uh, for the sake of the day. <coughs> so here in the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're basically wrestling with. How do I deal with my desires? How do I deal with my temptations and my needs? How do I deal with things, seeing it under the umbrella of your rule over everything? And we're frustrated because everything doesn't look like it's ruled by God because of disease and war and, and uh, corrupt politics and, and unemployment and sickness and disease. All of these things seem to look like, well, where's the good life that God promised his people? It, it looks like it's kind of rough. Uh, for God's people. Is he still good? Is he still in control? And so uh, Jesus is teaching us, his disciples, how to pray with a focus on God's uh, rule over everything and God's care for us and giving us daily bread and also our relationships that need forgiveness. And uh, together we fight uh, temptation. So it's not a solo uh, hand-to-hand combat. It's a group, a group project fighting against uh, temptation. <clears throat> well, you might have wondered, this is to the next point, praying through the filter of Jesus' name and God's will. <clears throat> have you ever forgotten to close your prayers in Jesus' name? Did you feel like, oops, that prayer's not going to make it because it didn't have in Jesus' name tacked onto it. What do you think we mean when, when we when we pray in Jesus' name? Is it the sign-off that doesn't get to heaven unless it has in Jesus' name? Uh, no. So we shouldn't do it superstitiously, right? What what are we uh, what are we saying about in Jesus' name? Well, he's our mediator. Do any of you have a boss that has to sign off on your work? So your boss wants to sign off on your work only if it's what? Acceptable, Acceptable right? Because whose name is on it? His. His, right? And so it's like, well, it's your work, but, you know, his name is on it. He's like, well, let's take a look at this. You know, it doesn't, uh, I don't want my name on this thing. This is somewhat of what Jesus is saying about praying in his name, is that you got to think about his character. He's a real person. He's the God, uh, the Son. He is all about God's glory. And so we come to him with things. We have to maybe even sometimes stop ourselves and say, what would Jesus think about this? I'm not just praying my prayer and then tacking on this magical send it through uh, to God uh, phrase at the end. Uh, this guy, Brian Chapel, he's the president of the Covenant Seminary, <clears throat> and he says this, 
were we to pray backwards, literally, meaning to pray in Jesus' name first, we might be surprised to find how childish many of our prayers are. In Jesus' name, give me a new car. In Jesus' name, lower my taxes. In Jesus' name, make my stock go up in value. In Jesus' name, help me get out of this marriage. Well, that doesn't fit, does it? In Jesus' name, make my church get really big. Well, that sounds like a holy prayer, right? While there may be God-honoring purposes in some of these prayers, the glory of Jesus' name is not the primary focus of most of them. When we become the primary focus of our prayers and our earthly satisfaction is our greatest concern, then ending our prayer with Jesus' name is superfluous at best and possibly little more than superstition. When we pray backwards, we are faced with the fact that Jesus' desires should be honored preeminently and ultimately because he who bought us at the price of his own precious blood should have his purposes honored most highly. It's actually saying something about our prayers when we pray in Jesus' name, that we want them to fit Jesus' purposes, his job as ruler of everything. <clears throat> so should that change any of our prayers, you think? Should that change what we pray for? If we're coming in Jesus, Jesus' name. <clears throat> well, we wrestle with this, and, and I'm still wrestling with it. I, I put this under the category of praying through a filter and then praying unfiltered. Because um, the very first thing I listed for us, it comes from First Peter 5. It says, cast all your cares on Him. So it sounds like there's nothing you should filter out in prayer. It should just be whatever is bugging you at the time. Throw all of your cares on Him because He loves uh, to have us pray. Pray for all Christians is the next thing. Um, the next one, James 5, 16. Uh, Jeff, you want to read that one for us? <clears throat> this is a little uh, practiced verse, but it's a really encouraging, encouraging one. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power if it is working. Wow. Pray for one another and confess your sins to one another. That sounds a little spooky, doesn't it? Do you want anybody knowing your sins except God? I don't. Right? But James is saying there's something transforming when you say out loud what you've done and another person doesn't run away screaming. Oh my gosh, you're the creepiest person I've ever heard of. I can't believe you did that. What happens if we start to speak truthfully in prayer and in confession to one another? We start to feel less alone in our sins. And you know what the devil does when we feel alone in our sins? You know what he says? You're the worst Christian ever. You don't deserve to pray to God. You don't deserve to call yourself a Christian. Don't bother God with this because you're just screwed up. One of my friends who was wrestling with a lot of stuff, he's like, I don't even want to come to church because I think I'm bringing evil spirits to, to church. And I was like, well, that's the place to be. If you're messed up, if you know that you're a sinner, bring it. Because here we discover the grace of God together. We all say the same thing about our sins. That's what 
the word confess means. We agree that it's sin. We agree that it's wrong. We agree that it's terrible. We agree that God forgives it. And so that we can pray together uh, to see God's forgiveness and strength to fight temptation comes to us. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.2 Now would you read that one? Kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Well, I guess we should read two one. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we should pray for politicians, for kings. What do you think of that? Why should we do that? Um, for the welfare of the country. Yeah. And he also points out for the welfare of the church, right? Make the rule in such a way that the church is safe and enabled to uh, worship. And uh, who would Paul have been talking about praying for? What guys? Endless. Cruel emperor. Cruel emperors, right? Who didn't get voted in, they basically killed their opponents, right? <coughs> like Satan. Well, we don't pray for him, right? <coughs> so imagine on Sunday morning, dear God, we pray that you would bless Nero. What? <coughs> Wouldn't that be the weirdest prayer ever? Bless Nero, forgive all of his sins, and they are many. Lord, make Nero a wise ruler so that he does not uh, persecute the church of Jesus. See, it, it sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? But it sounds like the way Jesus thinks. That if Jesus is the king over everything, all these little guys who seem to have the power of death in their hands are just one of his servants. And we're basically saying, God enabled this ruler to act like a servant instead of God. And that's always a good prayer for all of our politicians. Lord, help them to remember their job description from Romans 13 is to serve those who do good and encourage them and also punish those who do evil that they wouldn't get emboldened and run, run amok uh, in their sin. And so uh, we're doing something uh, powerful and influential when we pray for powerful and influential people because uh, God calls us to pray for them. Um, there's a few of these that are easy to do. Um, but here's a hard one. Praying for enemies. Wow. Matthew 5.44. It's just before uh, the Lord's Prayer here. <clears throat> but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Hmm. How are we like our Father when we pray for those who persecute us? How are we acting like God when we pray for our enemies? Yeah. God reconciled with his enemies through Jesus. So it means 
that people who belong to Jesus, who once were her, once were his enemies, they are to also pray for their enemies. In politics, there's this thing called unfunded mandates, where the federal government tells the state government to do things that they can't afford to do, and there's no money for it. <clears throat> well, when God tells you to forgive your enemies, this is not an unfunded mandate. Since God has forgiven you, that forgiveness has now taken over your heart. It is now something that you are to give away to someone else. We're not just to keep it to ourselves. Which is a little bit of what Jesus was saying is, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Don't just take forgiveness. It's supposed to be handed to enemies. Since that is what God did for you. Let me ask you this. How many of you are afraid to pray in public? You can be honest. Yeah. Why, why is that? It's a very common fear, and it's not like you're weird or anything. What are, what are your, some, some of your fears about praying in public? Stumble, stutter. Yeah. Sometimes. You won't say the right words. Older Christians, man, they have just awesome prayers. They like sound really cool and really holy. And when we get up there, we feel like we're just going to sound like a kid, right? And there's always this struggle in prayer about the honesty of prayer and then feeling like it should be really polished up and really awesome, kind of like a sermon or like a speech or a poem. Man, shouldn't it be pretty? You know, should the prayers be pretty? Because God is awesome and He's beautiful. And I want other people to go, oh, that was so inspiring. You know, stuff like that. And uh, so Jesus points to uh, the uh, Pharisees and to other uh, religions in uh, Matthew 6-7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Ask Him. If God gives us what we need before we ask Him... That should actually control how we ask Him. As we see, He's so ready to answer us. He's so ready to forgive us. We're not going to pry things out of His hands with magic words or a whole bunch of words, right? And uh, so new Christians are always struggling with, can you teach me some of the magic words? You say, no, just pray what's on your heart. And you're like, well, what's on my heart are bad words, and they're <laughs> a bunch of junk. I don't think I'm supposed to pray like that. But he says, don't. Don't worry about the amount of words. Don't worry about the special words because your Father really wants uh, to bless you and really wants to uh, forgive you. And that leads us to the next uh, principle, which is what I call it, praying unfiltered. Because if we're worried about praying about our words, what will happen? We just won't pray. There's something that is very uh, freeing about coming uh, to God. And I'll just read a few. This is a great book. If, you, if you're wanting to read a, a Christian book to help your uh, prayer life, I think this is the one to buy. Uh, it's really helped me. I pray kind of professionally as a pastor. I needed to learn how to pray just like a, someone who has God as a father. And, and this book really helped me in a really tough time in the last year uh, in my life. Let me just read a few things. The, throughout the book, they have a daughter who's autistic. And basically, the subtitle of the book is should be How My Autistic Daughter Taught Me to Pray. Because she's loud, she literally yells at 4 o'clock in the morning, she stomps around, 
she storms through airport security lines. Just life is super messy having this daughter, and they love her, and they love Jesus, and they're just overwhelmed by this daughter with so many needs. And basically, all they could come up with is just prayers that are just as messy as their autistic daughter. He he really found that you know what I'm sort of autistic in my praying. I'm a mess, but God still loves to listen to me. He loves to answer me. And he talks about this. The difficulty of coming just as we are is that we are messy, and prayer makes it worse. When we slow down and pray, we are immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are, with how difficult it is to concentrate on God. Sort of like ADD. We don't know how bad we are until we try to be good. Nothing exposes our selfishness and spiritual powerlessness like prayer. In contrast, little children never get frozen by their selfishness. Like the disciples, they come just as they are, totally self-absorbed. They seldom get it right. As parents or friends, we all know that. In fact, we are delighted most of the time to find out what is on their little hearts. We don't scold them for being self-absorbed or fearful. That is just who they are. That's certainly how Jill and I responded to Kim, their daughter with autism. We were uncertain whether she would ever be able to walk, so when she took her first step at three years old, we didn't say, Kim, that was all very well and good, but you are two years late. You have a lot of catching up to do, including long-range walking, not to mention running, skipping, and jumping. We didn't critique how messy or late Kim was. What did we do? We screamed, we yelled, we jumped up and down. The family came rushing in to find out what had happened. Cameras came out, and Kim repeated her triumph. It was awesome. This isn't just a random observation about how parents respond to little children. This is the gospel, the welcoming heart of God. God also cheers when we come to him with our wobbling, unsteady prayers. Jesus does not say, Come to me, all you have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, Jesus opens his arms to his needy children and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. Really, the message is just come to him. The first part is really basically how do we grow in the amount of things we pray for because we're on a very focused things on daily bread, on needs, uh, stressors in our life. And sometimes we don't come to God just because he's God in worship and dependence. And really the message is, we have a great Father, so come to Him. The way you honor the Father is not to stay away until your words are just right. The way to honor the Father is to come. Like my kids who honor me is jump on my lap and call me Daddy. There's there's that part of relationship that is in prayer that we need to not, to not miss. So we need to come uh, messy. Well, filtered meaning, if we're thinking about I'm coming through Jesus and Jesus has certain priorities, maybe I shouldn't pray about this thing because it's kind of petty and kind of lame, you know, so we might self-edit our prayers. But there's this other instinct, especially in the Psalms, which is, God, I just spill my guts to you. I come with my groanings. I don't even have words. I'm just crying out to you. I'm sobbing before you. And the Psalms are just full of that. So I think that's that's a part of prayer that's unfiltered, just very raw, just dependence upon God. But then he also, the scriptures talk about all these things we should pray for. He also wants to grow our prayers to be more broad in the sense of the categories we pray about and the priorities. We so pray are you about. saying filtered prayer is sinful prayer? No, it's just basically we want to grow areas of growth. I'm basically saying there's this struggle in scripture between 
you need to be changed in the way you prioritize prayer, but also just come as messy as you are. And I'm trying to keep both of those kind of attention. The Bible doesn't resolve those, say that one's sinful and one's one's not. I'm, we have to do both. You don't have to classify it as filter and filter. You just pray, and then however you want to pray, doesn't matter, right? Well, but then it says it does We do have to... Are we are we asking selfishly? We you know we need to evaluate. Am I praying that God's going to keep? You know, like for example, often I hear people pray, God, I pray that you'll never let um, this kind of economic downturn happen again. Which sounds unselfish, sort of, but at the same time, God God is used. No, I'm, I'm saying we're not talking about whether something's selfish or not. I'm just asking where it's filter or not filter. Okay. So um, I understand what the scripture says about prayer yeah. as far as uh, uh, how you come to God to pray uh, and what the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. I understand that. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just talking, I'm not talking about, uh, yeah, any, unself, any selfish prayer is sinful, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. But uh, you're using words, filter versus unfilter, and uh, the, the approach you use, that's what you're saying. Is that yeah. Right? Well, I'm just saying both are in Scripture. So yeah, the I'm word trying you to, use, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm trying to wrestle with just coming to God with all of your junk, but then realizing some of that junk doesn't isn't good, you know? How do we, do we pre-clean it up, or do we bring it to Him? And so I'm still wrestling with that in my own, own prayer life, so I'm just kind of putting it out there in terms of, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people. I don't think Scripture describes uh, the type of words you actually have to use. No, like, like you said, right? Yeah, but I'm saying the categories. Like we talked in the first part of the Lord's Prayer about uh, our needs. In the order of our, our amount of praying, we kind of looked at it last week in terms of worship, God's kingdom, and maybe needs. If we just kind of ran all of our prayers, kind of like in blogs or things, you can have little tags. Well, for me, most of my prayers are need prayers. God, I need this. I want this. You know, help this person come in. Very rarely would I just pray to worship Him, kind of thing. So it's basically Jesus wants to flip these around in terms of, because that's the order of the Lord's Prayer is, Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. It's, it's pushing our prayers up to think about bigger things than we normally uh, think about, or that we're just driven by our needs, because we're, we're physical people, we're earthly people, we're sinful people. We need to be kind of taught how to think bigger than our own self. So, I'm kind of just putting it out there as a struggle for my own self, is feeling like, there's so much of this, I want more of this in my prayers. Maybe I shouldn't bug God about that. But then he says, whatever I need, he, he wants to give it to me if it's good. And uh, so yeah, I like not being all cleaned up and and tight. That might be confusing terminology. Maybe that maybe what you're asking. Yeah, that's, I just want yeah. to know what filter I'm <clears throat> Yeah, because prayer is many times raw, and if we're waiting to clean it up, we'll never come come to God. That's kind of the point I was uh, making. But yeah, the last last few minutes, he will say, "Well, how do, how will I know when God's God's answered me?" 
And depending on what kind of Christian uh, community you're a part of, you'll get two different answers. <coughs> and we're probably in this category over here, word and here, spirit. <coughs> and I hang out with these people, so I'm around, around both. So for me as a pastor, a lot of times I wrestle with, I don't need to ask God what to do. He's our, I have a whole book of to-dos, right? There's so many things he's told me to do, I haven't even done half of them. So I don't need to ask God to tell me, what should I do? His wisdom is very clear. I need to just... So here we would say, God's already said it. I just need to obey it. And then over here, we could call it spirit. Uh, focused Christians, we say more, uh, you, they call themselves charismatics or things. Basically, like, I need to hear, I need to hear God before I obey Him. So I'm going to wait for that, that still small voice. I'm going to wait uh, for Him to give me concrete, specific directions about do I buy this house, do I go to this, this school. And so a lot of times that becomes subjective based on what I want to hear or what my heart heart wants. And it isn't that always, but that we're talking about dangers of extremes here. And then I think in the middle, and I like how Paul Miller says it, is as I am saturated in God's Word, I'm giving the Spirit vocabulary with which to speak to me. The Scripture is God's Word, written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when he's answering me, when I'm personally relating to God, God wants to use his own words to speak to me in a very particular way. And so a lot of us, if we're not in God's word and don't have uh, a rich uh, kind of foundation in God's word, we won't be able to hear the way that God speaks because he's not going to speak in conflict with this, this word that he's already given. And so uh, this helps us say... God, how do I wrestle with what you've already said over here? How do I obey it? And how do I have this personal relationship with you? Because I found in my ministry, I was just like, I know what, i got to do it. It goes on the daytime, or it goes in my uh, iPod. We're going to do this, because it's what God likes. But I wasn't praying about, God, how do you want me to do it? You know, being like a son uh, to Him. Really, I wasn't being like Jesus was that he was he clearly knew what God wanted but he clearly was with God in a personal way in prayer saying I want to want what you want God I want to think the way you think God I want to do it your way God and and that came out of his life quite evidently uh, in his min- in his ministry so I think that's a good direction for saying I, I still want to hear from God but he's going to speak through his word that means I need to know his word and I also need to be personally engaged uh, in prayer uh, with God. Well, we got to close up, but good, good questions, and uh, sorry about the kind of language uh, confusion. So, uh, yeah, that might have put too many categories in there. So, thanks for your questions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you messy, and we come to you uh, confused about how to live uh, this life of prayer. But it's a relationship, and so we come to you through Jesus, who has done it perfectly. He's the perfect son. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect king. He's the perfect prophet who always spoke your word and spoke it truthfully uh, out of love for the transformation and and even the judgment of 
his enemies. And so, uh, teach us. We're we're stumbling. We're like kids. We need to learn uh, through immersion, uh, as we learn our first language in the in our homes. Uh, we need to learn this first language of prayer uh, in the context of your family, the church, in the context of uh, seeking you, the Father of every good gift. We come to you through Jesus. In his name, amen.